Hi there, and welcome to the Skylight Books author reading series. You can find out about this and all of our other author events at skylightbooks.com, where you can also browse our inventory as well as order books online. You can also follow us on Twitter or even be our friend at Facebook. If you would like to talk to a real person, we can be reached at 323-660-1175. Thanks for listening and enjoy. My dear friend Kim Gottlieb Walker, and I think we should give her a clap on that one. The book is filled with sumptuous photographs, but it also has some biographical information in there. There are three essays by her husband, Jeff Walker, who was Bob Marley's publicist at Island Records in the mid-70s, and also by a fellow some of you may have heard of named Cameron Crowe, almost famous. Actually, he's pretty famous, isn't he? Yeah. And yours truly. And. Um, you're going to learn a lot about this uh, really remarkable woman who was chased by cops in the Century City riots in 1967, who shot some of the very first images in Hollywood ever of Jimi Hendrix, who has worked in the films and television as a set photographer and as a union leader, and I'm really proud of her for all her union organizing and work that she has devoted much of her life to. But in the reggae world, what we really love best about Kim Gottlieb is how she captured the golden age of reggae in 1975 and 1976. Those were the years in which the Whalers broke up and each of them issued some of the finest works of their life. Natty Dread and Rastaman Vibration by Bob Marley, Black Heart Man by Bunny Whaler, and an album that many consider to be one of the absolute top ten of all time in Jamaican music, Peter Tosh's Equal Rights with Kim Gottlieb's pictures on the cover. And then the great and late Justin Hines, his album Jezebel, classic picture of Justin Hines and the dominoes on the back that Kim took. But then there were others of us who knew her work uh, from print, including perhaps the most famous High Times cover of all time, Bob Marley, and I understand your three-year-old son, Rye, was the set decorator? Well, <laughs> it was present. We'll, we'll learn more about that, but I'm talking too much. I would like to present to you now one of America's finest photographers and one of the nicest people I've ever known, Kim Gottlieb. I, I just want to thank all of you for coming out tonight. This is, it really touches my heart to see so many old friends and hopefully lots of new friends as well. And I hope you're all going to enjoy the book. What I thought I might do is um, try out the speech on you that I'm going to give at the Jamaican consulate next week. Um, the con in New York, yeah. They, um, they decided they were going to host a reception and have 40 of my photos on display. And... Um, there was one caveat, and that was that none of the photos could have any ganja or smoke in them. <laughs> and so that presented a major challenge. But, um, so some pictures required a little bit of cropping, but um, I managed to come up with the pictures for them. But I'm going to try the speech out on you. So, here goes. <clears throat> 
There are many kinds of photographers. There are those who are artists, like my sister-in-law Marilyn, who is here, who is a real artist. She's back there. Um, and there are photographers who are at the opposite end of the spectrum, who are paparazzi. And I consider myself the opposite of a paparazzi, because a paparazzi takes people's pictures against their will. And that's something I would never do. I look at what I do as a mutual giving. I, I give whatever skill I have, and my subject gives me their trust. And so the pictures that you see in this book are a mutual love exchange and a mutual trust and giving. And um, so um, I began my career as a photographer while I was still attending UCLA when I would accompany my film school teacher when he would do interviews for the underground press in the late 60s. Uh, and I'd photograph his interview subjects. And I was 20 years old when I photographed Jimi Hendrix, which is when I sort of caught the bug for doing this. Um, by the 70s, I had amassed a fairly extensive portfolio of rock and roll performance and interview portraits of popular culture figures in music, literature, and politics, including such varied cultural icons as Jimi Hendrix, Woody Allen, Dr. Spock, and Andy Warhol. I must admit that when I'm shooting, all my concentration goes into my eyes, and so I don't hear anything. And uh, as a consequence, I can't tell you what was said in any of the interviews that I photographed, or, and I missed an awful lot of really wonderful concerts because I was photographing them. But it was a sacrifice I was willing to make in order to, to save those moments visually. I met my husband, Jeff Walker, who is back there hiding, um, over the formation of Music World magazine. In late 1972, we became a writer-photographer team, and we've been a team ever since. Uh, we were the first to feature a reggae cover with Music World, with Johnny Nash, and I can see clearly now it was an article about reggae, and it's the first one I know of that was in a, in a magazine here in, in the States. The magazine lasted a year, and by the end of that year we were married and expecting our first child, Orion, who is also here somewhere, and who appears in the book more often than Burnin' Spear does, which... <laughs> uh, but, um, you know, he was an integral part of our lives. Um, Jeff went to work for Island Records as their West Coast Director of Publicity, and when recording artists needed photographs, I continued to work as a team with him to provide what was needed. In the early 70s, the first Whalers albums were released, and in 75, the group disbanded to pursue careers as solo artists. And it was Jeff's job to reintroduce them to the U.S. public and to try to raise reggae, reggae profiles with mainstream audiences. When Bob Marley came to Los Angeles in 1975, Jeffrey arranged for all the press interviews, and I photographed them, as well as Bob's appearances on the Manhattan Transfer Television Show and his performance in backstage camaraderie at the Roxy Theater in West Hollywood, where Jeff had the distinct honor of introducing George Harrison to Bob Marley. Um, both of them were thrilled because they had huge admiration and respect for each other. That meeting was a challenge for me because it only lasted a few minutes in a dark spot backstage and my flash unit was dying. In circumstances like that, 30 seconds between flash charges was an eternity. Later that same year, we traveled down to Jamaica to bring Bob the results of all the press interviews he had done and to cover the historic Stevie Wonder Dream concert at which the Whalers played together for the last time. I spent time at Bob's house at 56 Hope Road, documenting his daily life, talking and playing ping pong with friends, surrounded by the constant flow of family members and Rastas who would hang out there. Bob allowed me complete access and even posed for me briefly, something that he rarely did. 
Um, I taped three pieces of cardboard in the uh, Ethiopian, Ethiopian flag colors to his wall and asked him to stand in front of them. And the result was three photos, which are, you'll see in this slideshow somewhere. The first was serious, and then I peeked out from behind the lens and I said, you know, Bob, a lot of the people who are going to see these pictures are people who already love you. And he broke into a big smile, and that was the next two frames. And we shot three photos. Um, after the time spent at Bob's house, my goal was to travel around the island to photograph all the reggae performers who had albums coming out for, their, uh, for island records to provide publicity and album art for them. And we photographed all the reggae performers we encountered. It didn't matter if they were on island or not. I was just so happy to be there and to meet them and to, to document their, ex their existence. Um, I found Jamaica to be one of the most beautiful places on the face of the earth, the way I imagined the Garden of Eden would look, and was greeted with open hearts and love everywhere we went. The number of musicians and singers creating wonderful music during that time was astounding. And now it's easy to see why it can be considered the golden age of reggae. Not only was Bob Marley creating amazing albums, as were the former whalers Peter Tosh and Bunny Livingston Whaler, whose album Blackheart Man is still one of my favorites. Um, and if you haven't heard it, get it and listen to it, it's wonderful. Um, but also Burnin' Spear, Toots and the Maytals, Heptones, Ross Michael, Justin Hines and the Dominoes, Junior Mervyn, Augustus Pablo, Johnny Clark, Third World and Inner Circle, with the greatly beloved Jacob Miller, who died tragically only a few years later at 27 in a car accident. Um, everywhere we went, there were producers like the amazing Lee Scratch Perry, Tommy Cowan, Jack Ruby, Harry J, turning out one brilliant recording after another. Um, now, the next paragraph I, I, I don't think I can use at the embassy. Um, the following year, Bob returned to Southern California where I photographed him for the cover of High Times magazine. One of the, one of the few times he posed with tremendous enthusiasm. <laughs> and then also when he performed at the outdoor amphitheater in Santa Barbara to a wildly enthusiastic crowd. In 1976, we made two more trips to Jamaica, one to bring journalists there uh, to get the ITAL vibes for their stories on Bob and reggae, and one with our then three-year-old son, Orion, who considered himself a Rasta and knew every cut on every reggae album Island had released. And on that last trip, we also brought with us young rock journalist, 18-year-old Cameron Crowe, who had written articles regularly for our Music World magazine during his almost famous period, and he traveled with our family around the island. Um, when, when I did this book, I contacted Cameron and asked if he would give us just a few captions for the book of anything he could remember. And instead, he wrote this beautiful introduction to the book with the most glowing memories of how he saw our, our family and his experience with Jeffrey as his editor and, and saying he was the best editor he ever had. And it was just, it was very touching. Um, Jeffrey returned the following year. Uh, to document the now famous Smile Jamaica concert. But I stayed home, having begun the next phase of my career shooting production stills for motion pictures. I've worked for over 25 years as a production still photographer for motion pictures, including the original Halloween and Escape from New York, and on television, nine years on Cheers and five on Family Ties. And I've been honored to serve as an elected representative for still photographers on the National Executive Board of the International Cinematographers Guild. And now that I've retired from working in the movie and television industries, I felt it was time to look at my body of work and begin to compile photos into books that document those turbulent and creative times. And as I looked through my archives of proof sheets and negatives from those island years, I realized that there was a wealth of images that would be appreciated by people all over the world and could add to the history and legacy of Bob Marley and introduce a new generation to many of the classic reggae um, 
artists of that golden age. So I approached my friends at Titan Books, who happily assigned me an editor and an art director, and I began to scan negatives from over 35 years ago. Most of the photos in this book had never been printed before, and some came as a revelation even to me, having only glanced at them on proof sheets all, the, all those years ago. Um, I couldn't have done the book without Roger Steffens, who is one of the world's foremost reggae historians. I, a big hand for Roger. He was able to put this book and the artists in it into the context of the entire history of reggae and explain why the photos were significant and why it was a golden age. And he's also provided song recommendations for the book. So if there are artists in the book who, whose music you haven't heard, there are song recommendations that you can, you can listen to. Um, none of this would exist without the love, support, and participation of my husband, Jeff Walker. And he wrote in this book about why these pictures were taken and how it all fit into the context of introducing all these amazing musicians to the American public. And um, I would like to read to you just my, my little introduction at the front of the book. While restoring these photos, removing dust and scratches, I was reminded that photography is simply a recording of light and dark. It is nothing more. And yet those tiny grains of light can come together to make the image of a human being, and sometimes can capture a moment in time that reflects a soul. When I opened my I&I reggae gallery in Second Life a few years ago, several Rasta avatars came to see my photographs, and they told me that they wept to see people that they loved, Bob Marley, Peter Tosh, Jacob Miller, and others, as if restored to life. For those who knew and loved the subjects of this book, may it bring them back, or forward as the Rastas might say, to life for you, if only for a moment, and for the generations that follow, may it introduce you to the music and the people who made it live. Thank you all so much for coming tonight, and I hope you all enjoy the book, and sign my guest book, and let me know what you think of it, and um, I hope we'll have more occasions to meet like this again. We're not going to let you get away that easily, Ms. Gottlieb Walker. Some questions and answers. And you can probably ask about almost anything you've heard us mention tonight. And uh, Jeff has some great stories, too. So who'd like to start off the questions and answers? Okay, the show's over. Everybody go home now. Don't be shy. Yes. Armageddon? Uh, sure. Um, well, when my son Orion was, uh, was really little, we used to play the Blackheart Man album for him from Bunny Whaler, because it's absolutely gorgeous album. It's, it's, it's like floating down a river of warm honey. Um, but there's one song that's called Armageddon, Armageddon, which is about Armageddon. And even though the song is beautiful, the words can be a little disturbing. So when Orion met Bunny, the first thing he said was, I don't like Armageddon, Armageddon. 
And Bunny said, well, it won't hurt the children. And they got into this deep philosophical discussion about Armageddon, which it was wonderful to see because, you know, Bunny had this reputation for being an Obeamatin, you know, like he has powers and you don't mess with Bunny. But he was in this beautiful discussion with my three-year-old, you know. And uh, there are lots of wonderful stories about Bunny. Um, I had heard that once a photographer asked if he could photograph Bunny, and Bunny said, I don't let dead men take my picture. And the guy died within a couple of weeks. So I figured the very fact that he let me photograph him meant that I was going to be around for a while. <laughs> so. Tell me about how he stood you up one day and made you cry. Oh, no, that was, that was Bob, actually. Bob. <laughs> well, when we first went down there, when we first went down there, um, one, of the, one of my goals was to get a picture that would work for People Magazine because they were planning to do a story on him and it would be the first major magazine to do a story about reggae anywhere, uh, except for our little Music World magazine. And um, I had spoken to Bob briefly about um, that I wanted the picture to really represent him and so if there was anything he wanted to have in the picture with him or a particular place where he wanted to do it, that he should think about that over the next couple of days because I was coming back and then we would do the picture. And when I came back, he was just leaving to go play soccer. And he was not going to wait to do the picture. And so I watched the car driving off, and I started to cry. And I think his friends gave him a real hard time about it, because they said, just come back on Saturday. So I came back on Saturday and spent the whole day. That's when he was playing ping pong and hanging out with his friends, and just documented the whole day. And that's when he posed for me, too. So, But that one moment, I thought, oh, no, there goes my one chance to be in People magazine. <laughs> but uh, it all worked out very well. And Peter Tosh, oh my God, I love Peter Tosh. He was so sweet. I mean, I know he has the reputation for being the militant one, you know, the angry one. But, you know, all of his, his, his anger was, was justified. It was righteous wrath about injustice and inequality in the world. And he had so much passion and so much love. He was so sweet. And you can see his interactions in the book with Orion, too. Um, Orion was so thrilled to meet him because he, he knew Peter Tosh's music, too. And, and you can tell from Rye's expression how excited he was to meet him. Um, but uh, he did his, his whole spiel about injustice and, and equality for Cameron Crowe. And it was really fun doing, just shooting while he did his thing. He was wonderful, so expressive. Yes? Thank you. Uh, the time Bob Marty was there, he's passed away for a few years, but he passed there at the time. What type of camera, camera lens, what type of speed film did you use in Australia? Did you ask Par Shaver that didn't partially pose, or was it just extemporaneous photography? Um, most of it was just documenting what was going on. Occasionally, uh, he would, on a few occasions, he posed for me, but, you know, mostly briefly. And at that time, I had an old Pentax and uh, fixed lenses. I had like a 50 millimeter lens and maybe an 80 millimeter lens. I didn't, I did not have a lot of equipment. This was not, a, this was not a lot of technical shooting. And the film I was using was Tri-X most of the time. And um, for color film, I had uh, RGB color negative, which is really, it's Eastman color negative. It's not great film at all. It's meant for movies. And even now, I mean, they've improved their movie film so much. And that's all I could afford. So I shot Eastman color negative. And it would, it would be developed and you'd get back um, a set of slides and a set of negatives. And um, 
sometimes the slides were so badly done that I didn't think I had anything. And when I went back to do this book, I went back to the original negatives and started scanning them and discovered I had all kinds of things I didn't even know I had. And um, so making this book was a real revelation for me to, to discover things that I had, had captured back then that I didn't even know I had. Any other questions? Yes? It's an interesting question in light of digital photography where you see what you have right away. Um, but I've never been a person who, I never used a motor drive, I never shot a lot. I always picked every frame that I shot. And so then it was always really exciting when the proof sheets would come back and I'd see if I got what I was trying for. And um, a lot of my favorite shots of all time, um, not necessarily in this book, but from working on films, um, some of them were shots where there was no way to take a light reading. There was no way to do anything but hope for the best, to take a, a guess and hope for the best and try for that moment. And when it would turn out, it would be such a rush to see that it worked. Um, I know that now with digital photography, you see right away what you've got, which is, which is really great. But I haven't found, I haven't found digital photography to be quite as satisfying somehow, on 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 some level. There's there's just enough of a delay in it that I'm not getting the exact moment I'm going for. I mean, I probably need much higher end digital cameras to make that work for me. But. Um, but with film, it was always going for a specific moment. And that's why the pictures with the colors behind Bob, there's just three frames, you know. Kim, do you have a favorite shot? If you could pick one picture for your work to be known by, what would you choose? Oh, well, the High Times cover is one of my favorites. <laughs> that's one of my favorites. And I know um, my son has on his wall the picture of Bob during that session, sitting on the floor with the herb on the table with him in his little yellow knit cap at the end of the table and Bob smiling at him. And so that's, I know that's one of his favorites. And Jeffrey has one that's a favorite of Bob watching him light a spliff backstage at the Roxy and Bob is watching him with a happy expression on his face. <laughs> All of which cannot be mentioned at the consulate. <laughs> they are lost. Any other questions? Yeah. Thank you, sir. I mentioned that when Bob Marty and George Harrison, were you able to get some really good photo shoots of that, please? Uh, I only got a grand total of three frames. Are they in the book? Uh, two of them are, yeah. Because the, the flash was, I mean, it was really dark and the flash was dying and I was waiting 30 seconds. 30 seconds is a long time when you've got a two-minute meeting going on in front of you. So that was pretty agonizing, but I'm glad at least I got what I got. Thank you very much. Anything else? Well, enjoy the party. Enjoy the book. Come say hello to me. Be sure to sign my guest book so that, you know, if more books come in the future, I can let you know about it. And um, have a nice time. Thank you.
You have been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget that you can check out this and all of our other great podcasts at www.skylightbooks.com. Today's music was provided by Fragile Gang. You can check them out at MySpace, Facebook, and the iTunes Music Store. Thanks for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.